1: Hello and welcome to the Healthy Herb Podcast, a place of information and inspiration for the home herbalist. I'm Bridget Doherty of the Soledago School of Herbalism, coming to you from a bridged island on the coast of Maine. In today's show, I'm talking about three wild superfruits. And I'm going to be focusing mostly on one specifically called Aronia Berry. Before we get started, I want you to know that I'm not a doctor, nor do I diagnose or treat people. What I share is based on my own experience and what I've learned from my mentors. Ultimately, I want you to be empowered in seeking and achieving your own version of optimum health. I want you to be inspired to connect and relate to the common plants that grow all around you. Together, let's make home herbalism be as common in the everyday household as cooking a healthy meal. Now, without further ado, let's have some fun and dig in. Well, it is fall here, and we're like really in in the depths of fall, even maybe approaching the end of fall if we want to look at the end of October as the witch's new year and the start of winter. So... There are still lots of herbs that we can harvest. We're entering into root season, and there are some still some nice wild fruits ab- that abound, especially where I am and hopefully where you are too. Three really common wild superfruits in my mind that are available this time of year are hawthorn berries and rose hips and Then also the Aronia berry, and Aronia, they're all in the same family. They're all in the Rosaceae family, and the Aronia's may be a little bit harder to find right now. Maybe the birds have eaten them. Um, You know, they're maybe less frost hardy, whereas the rose hips and the hawthorn berries, it's all, you know, a lot of people say it's actually best to harvest them after a frost, and we'll get into all of that. And I really want to focus on Aronia berries because I really feel like there's a potential for them in the bigger s- scheme of things for the herbal market. I think they potentially could be like the up and coming new superfruit that is the you know quote unquote superfruit that is the North American version of acai berry or goji berry. But first, there are a couple things I wanted to just talk about from some past episodes, just brief on, you know, I will often listen to my past episodes to make sure that once I put them out there, that they're okay, and they don't need any severe editing, um, or I didn't, you know, make any serious mistakes. And I kind of like to go back and listen and make sure that they're reading well, at least to my ear, and I hope they're reading well to your ear. But I had a couple notes. I was thinking when I did the ladies' Mantle podcast and I was talking about the, you know, the dew that actually is exuded from the leaf and thinking about making a tincture in the morning when the dew is present on the leaf that maybe it would be more magical. But then I was wondering, well, I mean, I guess that dew is already in the leaf, But then maybe there's less of it once it actually... So then I was like, well, it probably doesn't matter because it's actually within the leaf and the tincture is going to extract it anyway. But there's so much of it in the leaf, you know, that it's exuding from the leaf so that it will evaporate into the air. So then I was thinking, well, maybe it does make more sense to harvest it when that, that, you know, lady's mantle dew is on the leaf because especially if you don't see dew or raindrops on other leaves in the area so that you know that really is the intracellular fluid that's exuding from the plant, then you're probably getting more of that condensed into your tincture and, you know, catching it before it evaporates from the plant. So then I was thinking, well, maybe it does make more sense. So I don't know that's how my train of thought works on that. I don't know how your train of thought if you had listened to that episode and if you had any thoughts further on that concept of maybe making a tincture <clears throat> with the lady's mantle dew and the leaf to combined. Also, um, a few episodes back, I briefly touched on you know, this idea of it's time now to cut back your gardens, your perennial gardens, and to you know clean out your annual vegetable beds if the plants have already gone by or if they've been frosted. And I think, you know, I'm I'm a landscape gardener. So in my mind, to maintain the gardens, to make them, you know, in their optimum, pristine state, that's that's just kind of what we do as landscape gardeners for our clients is we just kind of cut the gardens back, make them look all neat and tidy through the winter. And, um, you know, prevent them from the seeds of the plants from spreading everywhere and be- making it harder to maintain in the spring. But there's a couple different theories on that depending on which aspect of gardening you're going to be doing. So actually for my own gardens at my house, it's a, it's definitely more of a wild gardening philosophy, mostly because I just don't have the time or the energy or the bandwidth after gardening for people all day to then come home and tend my own gardens, which is unfortunate because my gardens have kind of become very overgrown. But at the same time, they are producing uh, more ecology for for my little micro ecosystem here. So they provide more seeds you know, if you leave the stems and the stalks instead of cutting them down, then they provide seeds for the birds to eat and they provide stalks for the, insects to, the pollinator insects to harbor in over the winter. Or even as, the, as over the winter as the snow kind of presses the stalks down to cover the ground, then it acts as a natural mulch to protect the soil, the microbes in the soil and the roots from being exposed to a lot of freezing and thawing which they really do not like if it's a winter where you get a lot of freezing and thawing throughout the winter. If it's not a super, super cold winter, actually a lot of perennials would rather it just be frozen all winter long than this like freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw. So it just is, but if it's a super cold winter, then they also like to have some sort of a mulch protection. So... You know, depending on where you're at with your gardening, you could either, you don't have to cut everything back. Um, Maybe you cut things back, herbs back, because you're harvesting them. And it really depends on how meticulous you like your garden. You know, gardening is such a huge gray area of what it means to garden and what makes a good healthy garden and what makes a good healthy ecosystem. I know when I was in agriculture school, They, It was very important that the gardens were cleaned up, pristine, especially for vegetable farming, as clean as you could make it because you would have less likelihood of insects and fungus and bacteria that are detrimental to your plants taking hold in that leaf litter and plant material. But if it's like a wild garden, then you want as much of a variety of insects and bacteria and molds to equal it all out, just like in our intestines. So you want to you know, have a nice diversity of life for optimum health. And I think ultimately that is what makes a really healthy ecosystem. But can make a challenging gardener if you really want your gardens to be super well maintained. So it all depends on what end of the spectrum or where in the middle you want your gardens to be and how pretty and pristine you want them to be. I recently heard um, an herbalist talking about when you talk to plants and when, you know, talking and listening to plants, you know, with your heart and your mind and, your soul, your spirit. And when you listen to wild plants versus when you listen to cultivated garden plants. And it, she was likening it to, you know, listening to, when you listen to garden plants, it's like listening to plants in that are imprisoned or in jail. And that it's not, it's a different story that they tell than the wild plants or plants that are maybe in more of a wild garden. All just food for thought and just throwing out there because basically there is no right or wrong way to do things there's only just one really big gray area and i really feel like that's how it is in herbalism as well and in tending our own health and our own lives and the lives of our families so now back to the super fruits and The rose hips and the hawthorns and the aronia, like all of these berries are basically just very concentrated in nutrients. And they might be very small, so you have to kind of harvest a lot of them and maybe find ways where you can extract the nutrition from them in a more easier way It's then because they're not necessarily ones that you're gonna eat a lot of easily. So how can we extract the nutrition, concentrate the nutrition, and then ingest the nutrition from these plants. And a lot of times what is a kind of a marker of these super fruits, especially super wild fruits, are these bioflavonoids, these antioxidants, the um, coloring components. So the richer the color of the fruit uh, tends to be a marker as to the more benefit that it offers our body. And so where I've already gone into a lot of detail on rose hips and hawthorn in previous episodes, I really wanted to focus on aronia today. And I wonder if you've even heard of the aronia berry. It's um, also known as choke berry, which is often confused with choke cherry, but it's it's not the choke cherry, It's but it's called choke berry because it is quite a sour fruit. And so it kind of puckers your mouth or doesn't necessarily make you choke because it's poisonous, but might kind of make you feel like you're choking because it's so sour. So again, how do we harness these nutrients, but then make it enjoyable to actually consume them? So how do we sweeten them or add them to things that, you know, might hide or tone down that sour flavor, but still reap the benefits of them. Aronia berries are common in the wild. And then now you can also find them in, in most plant nurseries to grow and cultivate yourself. They are a North American native shrub. And Again, like I said, they're in the rose and apple family, the Rosaceae family, which is a, a large family with a lot of really healthy plants in them, healthy for humans and other animals. So there are about 16 species, from what I gather, of Aronia, and Aronia is the genus. Um, and then the three main ones, three main species are the Melanocarpa, which is the most common and is known as the black Chokeberry, And that is um, found in the northeast to the Great Lakes and even to the southern end of the Appalachians. And then the Arbutifolia, which is the red chokeberry, is another main species. And the Prunifolia, which is a pu- purple chokeberry berry which is actually a hybrid that combines the choke cherry combined with these two other species of aronia. So when it's interesting because it's such a a sour wild fruit and it was commonly eaten and worked with among the indigenous you know traditional food and medicine of a couple different tribes that I could find in the United States and, and perhaps um, still is. So the um, the Potawatomi tribe used them to make a tea for a treatment of colds and maybe still do. I do not know. And also Um, So they are the native people of the Western Great Lakes region and the upper Mississippi River and the Great Plains, so that general area. And then also, so they would make a tea to treat colds. They would also um, work with it as a fruit for food used in a, food that they call pemmican and that's also uh, Wabanaki tribes which are of the northeastern and southeast Canada which is the region you know of where I am um, plus north northeast of me and southwest of me and they the both the Potawatomi and the Wabanaki tribes traditionally make um, a, a food called pemmican which is pounded dried fruit into that's pounded into animal fat and dried meat which helps preserve and flavor the meat to you know carry it through the winter it also increases the nutritional content of the meat so you know maybe it's like the traditional jerky a type of beef, you know, type of wild meat jerky, I would, I'm guessing, I have not actually tried some. Interestingly enough, the Melanocarpa species was brought, you know, was just, you know, was brought from the northeastern region and the northern region of the United, the what is now known as the United States, and it was brought and first cultivated in the early 1900s uh, to Scandinavia, Poland, um, mostly, and Russia. And then after that, mostly uh, Poland and Austria really developed it and and grew it and cultivated it the russians used it to enhance their diets for the their cosmonauts and you know the, it's interesting the more i you know look into histories of herbs especially adaptogens and herbs that are really very nutritious nutritious foods you hear a lot of the russians really doing a lot of study and cultivating and work with them in trying to really boost their their people where whether it was really that their athletes, or their astronauts, or their, um, maybe their military, I'm not really sure, but they really would focus on how can we best nourish these people so that they can excel. And this was one plant that they kind of really sought out and began working with. The North American settlers used the bark and berries as an astringent, and the fruit was so sour that it was really considered undesirable. And so it didn't really grow in popularity with the colonizers. However, Lewis and Clark uh, carried huge packs of this pemmican, the aronia berry meat, which sustained them on their journey, um, and it was very lightweight and nutritious. So they they caught on to it, and they decided that this was going to be a good travel food for them. So what really the aronia berry, uh, berry offers is a large amount of flavonoids, which are polyphenols, and specifically the anthocyanin. Um, There's at least nine different kinds of phenolic compounds within the aronia berry that really offer, help to really give it the super dark color. Anthocyanins, we see a lot in like antioxidant supplements. Um, You see them in, that's kind of one of the things that people are like, oh, well, Red wine is great because it has anthocyanins in it. Also, you know, this dark color attracts birds and other animals to consume the fruit and disperse the seeds. Now, the source of anthocyanin really is thought to offer many of the berries health benefits. Although I feel like there is some debate out there as to actually how much of these pigments of plants actually become absorbed it's not like the pigment of the plant has the specific action on the body but maybe more of how we process and metabolize the pigment of the plant is going to affect our health more but even still the amount of these pigments or anthocyanins in this specific case really do show um the power of the fruit as far as the health benefits. And this can sometimes be measured by what's called ORAC, O-R-A-C, which stands for Oxygen Radical Absorbance Capacity. So as you might guess, it's a way to measure the number of free radicals that can be absorbed or neutralized by any given food is their ORAC value. And as Americans, as we are, and most people in the world at this point are fighting pollution, stress, and indulgent eating habits, specifically Americans there, we are overrun by oxidation and inflammation. So any way that we can fight that um, oxidation and inflammation is really going to support our health. So the Aronia Berries ORAC score comes in at 16,000, according to an article I read in Mother Earth News. So to put this in context, blueberries, which people are always talking about what an excellent antioxidant they are and how beneficial they are for our eyes and our health and our heart Their ORAC score is 4,669. So from 16,000 of Aronia, blueberries are 4,600. And then elderberries are actually the next closest to Aronia. And you can see that elderberries are a lot darker, generally, than the blueberries. And their score is over 14,000, so 14,700 about. Cranberries are around nine thousand. So really, aronia. There's rarely a fruit that is found that has an ORAC score or an antioxidant score higher than aronia. I think acai. I've seen some places say that you know maybe acai is a little bit more and also a little bit less. And again, these scores really can vary, right, from from place to place you know, harvest to harvest, whatnot. But just to give you a general scale, um, you know, aronia, 16,000, blueberry, 4,500. So at, so let's talk about some of these benefits that aronia can offer. Uh, antioxidant, obviously, as we were talking, free radical scavenger. Generally, these are known to have anti-cancer effects and even slow cancer growths. So, if I felt like I, or if I knew that I was um, battling cancer, then I would definitely start ingesting some aronia berry probably on a daily basis. And that doesn't mean that we have to go out and harvest it all for ourselves, you know, find a place or grow it all. It is, you know, I did look just to get a sense of what's out there on the market. I did a quick look on Amazon, and there's hundreds, at least, of different products of aronia berries that you can get. And it's not just supplements; it's you can get frozen aronia berries, you can get powdered aronia berries, you could get dried aronia berries from Frontier Co-op, uh, where you could, you know, make infusions with them if you wanted, or. Probably rehydrate them and use them. So they're out there, they are available. And if you can find American grown, there is um, a push. And I guess I'll get into this. I'm I'm jumping ahead here, but there's definitely a push as far as finding a, a market for Aronia berries because it is a nice supplemental crop that some farmers are trying out in the United States and planting acres of aronia berry. And it is an investment up front because you have to, you know, plant these shrubs and then maybe they won't fruit for up to five years, but then you can actually get quite a large yield, which is what they've been doing in Poland for a long time now. And they in Poland, you know, they have specific machinery that is our harvesters that can really harvest these crops in large amounts. So, you know, the more that we can support the aronia berry cultivation, especially in the United States, we're actually supporting the farmers and we don't have to go out and wildcraft our own fruit if we don't want to. But I did go to a plant nursery this fall and they had some beautiful aronia shrubs that were already fruiting. So they were already, you know, relatively mature. They were small, but they had it was a, a vi- they called it the Viking variety for whatever reason I don't because it's it's a North American fruit so I don't know why it's called Viking but maybe it was developed in Scandinavia and maybe that's why it's called Viking but the berries on it are huge they're huge and beautiful so you can look for that next time you're shopping for shrubs okay but I digress. So let's to get back to the benefits of aronia. So not only antioxidant, but anti-inflammatory. They are. They do offer COX-2 inhibition. So the COX-2 enzyme is a pro-inflammatory enzyme. And the COX-2 pathway is when we inhibit that pathway is where we can really inhibit a lot of inflammation. And that's where the Uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories inhibit COX pathways. However, they inhibit both COX-1 and COX-2. COX-1 enzyme actually protects our gut lining uh, and our stomach lining. And that's why if we take too many of these COX inhibitors, they might inhibit our COX-2 inflammation response, but they can also inhibit the health of our Gut lining, and that's why they can cause ulcers as a side effect. But the herbs that are COX two inhibitors and the plants that are COX two inhibitors are not necessarily also COX one, and so that's um, a big kind of movement out there in promoting herbal anti inflammatories. Also, to help chronic pain relief. So, if you had chronic pain pain relief, you would maybe consider. Finding some aronia, you know, frozen aronia that you could put in smoothies on a daily basis or getting powdered aronia berries and putting them in smoothies or dried aronia berries and making an infusion, a strong nourishing herbal infusion with them. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So they're very nutrient dense. That that sour flavor lets you know that they're very astringent. Um, they're very energizing and help to reduce chronic fatigue They I and mean, that's probably because they're so nutrient dense I would assume. So these these polyphenols, these um, bioflavonoids are also really shown to be very beneficial for cardiovascular health Now this is so important especially in America I, I believe that cardiovascular disease is still the number one killer. Um, of Americans. And so anything that we can do that can support the cardiovascular health is important. So these aronia berries can help with blood pressure modulation. They can improve blood vessel flexibility, helping to prevent hardening of the arteries, and they can also just generally prevent cardiovascular disease also diabetes type two prevention. So they can really help with blood sugar modulation and insulin production. So again, if you feel like, or if you've been told that you're leaning toward type two diabetes and you have to start changing your lifestyle, incorporating aronia berry on a daily way, um, or even a weekly way could be, uh, beneficial for you in preventing that slippery slope toward diabetes type 2. And along those lines, there's also been some research and studies that show aronia berries have this anti-obesity effect where they um, can help the body have less less body fat and less belly fat and are generally a metabolism aid. And then similar to how blueberries are touted, but we see how much more concentrated the arona berries are, really well known to help with visual health, similar to bilberries and blueberries, but much more concentrated. Also, we see some immune supportive properties. In any antioxidant, we see support for the immune system, not only when we're dealing with cancer, but just in general support for immune health and offering that there is potential to offer antimicrobial properties. So we saw traditionally indigenous people would um, use aronia berries as a cold tea or a tea that helped stave off colds and flus. And then um, support and improve recovery from excessive exercise or physical activity. So if you've recently been injured or if you have a very uh, intense workout regimen, then including aronia into your superfood diet um, could be a really benefit to you. Another and final actually, one of the final benefits that I see that Aronia is being shown to offer in some scientific research is that it's known to help prevent neurological diseases, improve brain function, uh, especially helpful for folks who are entering into Alzheimer's or dementia. They reduce symptoms of poor cognitive function, including poor memory and trouble concentrating, which who couldn't use help with their memory and concentration, really. And then also with these flavonoids, and I see it repeatedly as a pattern in researching these plants, is that they offer UV protection. And really what they're offering is UV protection to the plants themselves from the sun and to help the plants deal with oxidative stress. And that's Kind of why they are creating all of these um, anthocyanins, but then we can also benefit from that in helping to protect us from excessive UV protection as well. So, if you feel like you need extra protection from the sun, I don't know if slathering aronia berry paste all over your body is the right way to go, but I think even ingesting them could be beneficial and you know I did see a while ago um, this really interesting advertisement for a supplement that was being it was an internal supplement but it was being used to help reduce these like age spots or liver spots that we see forming I mean I feel like I'm even getting them because I've been in the sun a lot and that are just kind of you know they're they're more than a freckle for sure. Um, but that, that the scientists had done a lot of research on basically flavonoids from berries really helping to over time reduce those spots. And he was kind of, you know, extracting and concentrating and turning it into a supplement, um, and maybe even a cream and I just thought that was really interesting. And then, then the more now that I'm looking at these fruits and even um, hypericum, St. John's Wort, which is really shown to help at least myself too. And I've I know I've talked about this in a previous podcast episode about St. John's Wort. St. John's Wort is that one of the thoughts and why it's so protective of the skin against UV damage is because of the flavonoids that yellow those yellow and red components the color pigments that we can extract from the oils of the plant so again that's I mean that's a a guess of mine I don't know that I've specifically seen the science on that but I just I see patterns and I find that interesting so if you're curious more about that maybe dive a little deeper so I do have some interesting, like for the milligrams I, on one article that I found of the anthocyanins of different fruits, just, and it really put the aronia berries right at the top. And again, it's a huge range depending on the fruit that you find and the fruit that's measured, but anywhere from, you know, 46 to 558 milligrams is the chokeberries at the top of the list. And then next down is the elderberries maxing out at 463 milligrams. So it's like 100 milligrams less at the highest end of their spectrum. Going down to um, black currants is next in line, and then sweet cherries, and then blackberries. So, we're looking at all these really dark colored fruits. Blackberries are 139 milligrams, so you know, around a fifth of the content of anthocyanins. And then continuing down the list, we have red raspberries at 38 milligrams. And then going down further, blueberries, 26 milligrams, all the way from the 558 milligrams of chokeberries. Now, again, this isn't like exact. I mean, it was some somewhere along the line, it was an exact measurement, but it's more of a scale. So I'm just trying to give you a scale here. Uh, red wine, 10 milligrams, right? So they say drink your red wine for cardiovascular health, but really chokeberries. And, I, and there are people making chokeberry or aronia berry wine out there, which is, a, is kind of a fun thought. So there's quite a big difference, a, discre- a big difference between blueberries from 11 to 26 milligrams anthocyanins for, I don't even know how, how much, um, to how much fruit that is, but all the way to the, the black choke berries or, or, otherwise known as aronia, um, at the 46 to 558. So it's quite, quite the difference. So I hope that that kind of intrigues you more about this potential, you know, North American wild super fruit, if I dare say. And let's talk about the fruit, the shrub itself. So it likes um, moist and wet soil. So you'll often find it maybe in wetter areas or maybe along stream areas or on the sides of wetlands um, you know not not necessarily in in the water but where the soil is relatively regularly wet and moist it actually likes part sun part shade and somewhat wooded areas so if you have a, a part sun part shade area of your yard or your garden that you're that you'd love to have a wild shrub growing uh, a fruiting shrub then you could try aronia um, it's, it's one that you might want to protect from the deer at first, but I think once it gets established, uh, you don't have to worry about it so much. It grows three to nine feet tall. It is kind of a, a scraggly shrub. I would say it has white flowers that bloom May and June Um, for a short amount of time, and then it fruits once it's five years and older and could probably live for 10 to even 20 years. It's self-pollinating, so really you only need one shrub, and you would still get fruit, though if you have more than one plant, you will increase your berry yield. It's... um, like I was saying, you can find it wild, but it is also being cultivated. I, you know, I did a little search on podcasts for Aronia, and it was mostly an agricultural c- podcast. And it was interviews with um, a few different farmers that I found that were growing it. And it didn't really sound like they had quite found the market that they needed to really make it a viable crop yet. But it was. I feel like, you know, in 5 to 10 years, the potential is definitely there. And obviously Poland has been able to find a market Poland, you know, grows a huge variety of medicinal plants. So on a large scale. And so I find that that interesting. So I I say let's let's create that market for the farmers. I mean, this could be a very sustainable native perennial uh, crop, or if you are a farmer, you know, maybe you could, and you have, maybe you're growing some elderberries. Maybe you'd also want to, and blueberries. Maybe you'd also want to grow some aronia berries. Right now, it seems as though Poland is growing about 90% of the world's cultivation of aronia. In 1996, the main commercial cultivars from Polish agriculture schools were brought to the United States, where they were placed in various research stations for the purpose of optimizing techniques for commercial production here in the United States and working to establish a viable new economic crop for American orchardists. So this was 1996. So this was almost 25 years ago. And so you're kind of like, well, I mean, I guess we haven't really seen that really take hold yet. So maybe because it's a sour fruit, I almost think that the name Aronia or chokeberry aren't necessarily good uh, marketing names either. Maybe if it had a different name, it would be more interesting to the population. And I, and I think this also goes Back to something that I've talked about in past podcasts as well, in that, especially in America, like there's something about this like exotic superfruit, i concept and idea like acai or goji, you know these like berries that come from India or you know other cultures and traditions from far away that become like oh these must be You know, the amazing next amazing heal all super food. And I'd love for us to be able to drop that paradigm because, in the long run, it really can cause it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable for the production. Uh, You know, it makes some people rich is what it does. It makes the people who are making the supplements, who are distributing the herb rich, but it doesn't necessarily make the farmers in India who are growing the fruit or the cultures who are now losing control of their cultural fruit um, to the corporations who are now mass marketing these new trendy foods. And if we can really look and say, wow, no, we have a native fruit in the United States that grows. It loves to grow here. It normally grows here. It can handle the climate. And not only that, but it is like way on the top of the charts for nutrition and antioxidant potential. Um, how How is that not more popular than acai or goji or maca right now? What What is this cultural paradigm that we're, that we've, that we're in where, I mean, granted, I think goji berry probably tastes better than the sour aronia fruit, but, you know, there are definitely ways to make it taste better. So I think I want to say, I hope that we will start seeing aronia kombucha or, you know, aronia powder to add to your smoothie or, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say let's start taking capsules of this stuff. I mean, let's incorporate it into food because that's what it is. It is a food. And how can we start incorporating it into our own diet, into our own gardens, into our own backyard and really incorporate this to help build and, and, Build on a healthy diet. Now, interestingly enough, the science has shown that freezing the fruit before working with it is the better way to go before eating it, and in for multiple reasons. One, it tends to make it be less sour and bring out the sweetness of the fruit, and it allows it to extract. Better, We get more from the fruit once we freeze that. And this is another theme that we see a lot when we really start looking into how we're going to make the most of these fruits and berries. Traditionally, we hear that we want to harvest, say, rose hips and hawthorn berries um, after the first frost. And that's for these fruits that have these like kind of harder skins to them that protect them into the fall and into the early winter, I think, so that it provides food for the birds um, and allows them to access them into the winter, where we're not going to see, obviously, blueberries last through frost. But we do see some more of these more um, dense, condensed, concentrated wild berries and fruits Really benefit from being frozen first and then being prepared, or being dried first and then being prepared. And this also goes back to the idea that we need to break the cell walls of our plant food before we can access the nutrition. Now, granted, these um, pigments are outside of the cell wall. So And where they're saying, well, these antioxidants, these anthocyanins are outside of the cell wall, so we don't necessarily need to break the cell wall to get the nutrition from them. But there's, it's more, I think that just shows that there's more to these fruits than just the antioxidant, just the anthocyanins. I think that those anthocyanins are a nice marker to show how these fruits are really beneficial and how beneficial to the extent of the benefit that they offer us but again these plants are so much more than one constituent as we see time and time again and i think that shows in the fact that that both traditionally allowing them to go through a frost and now in modern day that we want to freeze them first before we start working with them because the by freezing them, we bring out the sugars, or they even produce more sugar um, after being frozen to sweeten them to make them more palatable and um, more attractive to animals that can then spread the seeds of the fruit after eating them so that's something to consider and I know that whenever I make um, herbal fruit shrubs or you know at put fruit in any sort of tincture or smoothie, I really like to freeze them first. And it's very apparent to me how much faster things are extracted and how much faster the fruit actually breaks down in the solution that we're extracting. So Different ways, and I do that with elderberries as too. I like to make fresh elderberry syrup, but I'll take the fresh elderberries and I'll freeze them first, even if it's just for 24 hours, and then make my preparations with them. And that's what has shown with the aronia berries. They only really need to be frozen for 24 hours before working with them. And then you gain so much more that they have to offer. So that's something to consider. Now, there are lots of different ways you can work with these and all kind of in a lot of fruit. I mean, sorry, a lot of food extracts. So I was saying that people are making aronia wine, Um, jam, syrup, aronia juice is out on the market. Um, Soft spreads. So Teas, so with those dried berries, making a nourishing infusion or decocting them into a tea, you can find aronia berry salsa on the market. You can find different extracts, aronia um, brewed into beer, uh, aronia ice cream, gummies, even a tincture of the aronia for that concentrated antioxidant benefit. And again, you can purchase them dried, powdered, frozen, capsules, though I wouldn't recommend capsules, um, juice or extract. So I hope that this kind of intrigues you. I hope that maybe you've heard of aronia or choke berry and have kind of been like, "Eh, that doesn't really sound great. But I hope now I've introduced a new fruit to you that you can access and include into your diet in one way or another for optimum antioxidant benefit, cardiovascular benefit, um, neurological benefit, eyesight enhancement, and just anti-aging, anti-cancer, immune support, all around a beneficial superfruit. So I hope that you find time to check out episode number six, where uh, and number five, where I talk about hawthorn berries, and then I hope that you also can f- check out episode episode thirty nine, where I talk about rose and I talk about the flowers, but I also talk a lot about the hips of the rose and the benefits there, and I think you will see some similarities between them and Aronia, and I'm pretty sure you can still find these fruits in the wild. And if not, they are all pretty relatively easy to access um, through major herb distributors or maybe even from your local herb shop, dried and, or frozen, and you can play around with them and see how you can incorporate them into your everyday living. I hope that you found this interesting. If you did, I would love for you to uh, rate or even take a couple seconds to write a quick review, even if it's just, I, I enjoyed this podcast, or I really found this episode to be interesting. Share the podcast, tell your friends, look me up on Instagram, Facebook, or my website, all with this, the tag Solidago Herb School. Say hi. I would love to see who's out there listening. And thank you for listening. I appreciate you. I'm Bridget Doherty. Until next week, be well, let intuition guide you, and have fun with herbs.